0: Petersfield's Shine Radio.
1: You are listening to Talking Books with Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly.
0: Hello, I'm Susie Wilde, and you're listening to Talking Books, our monthly chat about books and any spin-off from them.
2: And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books with some recommended reads for what to look out for in the next month or so. Last month's interview was with author and journalist Nigel Farndale and today we're joined by another author and journalist Jennifer Selway talking about horror.
0: Hooray! So My Backlisted Choice is a brilliant book about family and love, a kind of why done it. But let's start with what we've been reading this month, Tim. Right. Well, I've I haven't read as much this month as as I would have liked to.
2: Actually, I've been too busy bicycling around around the country. Oh. What doing. But But um, first book I wanted to talk about was was Missing Presumed by Susie Steiner. Uh, it came out a while ago. Actually, it's not a new book, but it's she's written three in this series, which is uh, featuring a, a detective called Manon Bradshaw, who, as is the way in, in all good. A police procedural she has a complicated troubled domestic <laughs> life um it's quite slow moving and, and detailed and it's not at all bloody um or horrific it's more of a subtle novel really about the police rather than a than a crime novel if you see know what i mean so it's uh it's quite interesting really it's quite slow and it and it's very well done i think she's a really good writer um and it's the it's the first in the series uh, remain silent is the latest one but well worth the read that's susie steiner Book I mentioned that I was, had started last month, which was The Man Who Died Twice, the Richard Osman, the second one in his, in his series. I thought it was excellent. I have to say, know, better than
0: the first.
2: Um, I enjoyed it just as much. I would say. I Is think it the same gang? Or? It's the same gang. Okay, doing much the same sort of thing. It's just great fun. It's not uh, that clever or anything. It's got plenty of plenty of humour and plenty of charm. I think that's the main thing that, that Richard Osman brings to brings to his writing is just is charm. Just out imminently is the third book I'm going to talk about, Sally Rooney's Beautiful World, Where Are You? This is her third book, and she's a young author. She's only just thirty, I think, and her first two books have been enormously successful. Um, Normal people, of course, were made into television series. Famously, lots of lots of sex on BBC One. I don't know if you if you watched it, but it it was it was well done. And the book is is I think excellent. I think she's a really really classy writer, but she's not an, necessarily an easy writer. She's not it's not a very quick read. It's fairly autobiographical, I I, I guess, having read profiles of her. Mm. Um, it's a it is about a writer who has been very successful, um, and struggles and struggles. Uh, with her mental health, and so it's about two women who are who are friends basically, and they send each other emails, and they and on sort of alternative sh- chapters, and in between we have sort of action sequences that that refer to one of these two two women. Um, they both have troubled love lives and troubled everything really. They're not they're, <laughs> they don't find life easy either, either of these two women, um, but it's a really fascinating portrait of of I suppose what it must be like to be that sort of age right now and to have a a rich intellectual life because they do these these two women it's a a challenging and good read and I would really recommend it actually
0: it's so funny isn't it it's like all the intellectual struggles that you don't feel Richard Osman has and I'm not saying that to be snarky I think that one of the joys of the book and why people love it is it's so sunny you really feel like he loves his characters and so does his mum well, I think, I, think his I mean, I wouldn't
2: like to read Richard Osmond the whole time. And no. I wouldn't like to read Sally Rooney
0: the whole time. But Absolutely. I, I do like to read yeah, yeah, yeah. all sorts of different things. Yeah, if, I think and it's just good that there was the juxtaposition in your current nice reading. It's quite nice to mix them, mix them up a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've thoroughly enjoyed um, Rodham by Curtis Hittenfield that you um, recommended. That was just amazing really I've said that I've been um, to you that I've been listening to the audiobook of um, The Devil Rides Out waiting to interview Jennifer Um, it's narrated by Nick Mercer not very good but I've just seen that Christopher Lee has also narrated it damn it and I would have loved that um, but I've been reading a lot of romantic fiction in preparation for writing it, so I'm going to do a course on it. I love to learn something new every September. It's like the beginning of term always to me, and I found it really hard to find any in the library, which interested me. So they must all be out on loans. So that must be a genre that's immensely popular, and I know I, most readers are women.
2: I think I think romantic fiction is is a very popular popular genre. Um, and there are some very good practitioners of it, mm. I think. And there are some less good ones. Well, and again,
0: it ranges from, you know, quite highbrow literary fiction right through, really, to Mills and Boone.
2: I mean, people are always a bit sniffy about Mills and Boone. But, I mean, they they are, you know, it's a, they're well-crafted bits of work. And they, I mean, they do a yes. job. And, yes. Uh, and I think they're very hard to do. I don't think anyone will say, oh, well, I can I do that. I can knock off that. You know, it's not like... Um, saying well I could I could knock off a pitch like picasso you
0: know it, it you know it'd yeah. be easy but it it I think it's it they require a lot of craft it's so hard it's- to do it with a straight face i think i thought it would be like painting by numbers um because no. it's this template and so when i was still teaching to make some money i attempted to write a mills and Boomer i thought this has got to be easy and the staff got me to read out the latest extract over lunch because they found it so hilarious it's <laughs> you know i know so i don't so i'm not remotely being mean about them i'm just saying it is so what end. what have you
2: been reading in that well I? i've
0: been reading so i can blame our guest katie marsh for all this whimsy anyway and i read um her book that you have on your shelves here i just picked up the the one that you have here the rest of me and katie told me in the interview that there's such a thing as um a sort of medical romance as, a, as very a much so, niche. Yeah, yeah. And she, of course, knows lots about it. So if you missed that uh, on live on Shine, the podcast is still available if you think you'd like the sound of that. I mean, there
2: are more genres uh, uh, <laughs> in writing than you'd ever dream yes. of. I mean, there's, whole, there's, there's a, genre, a subgenre in, in romantic fiction in which features men in kilts. I mean, what really is yeah, yeah, the yeah 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 there's a whole whole series of books with
0: or without underpants uh
2: well normally without tops certainly okay uh so they're with a claymore in one hand and and, and a dashing uh right. kilt so not running with um not no a vest no not no vests no okay
0: um, and the other one that I was meant to read Riders. I had a, a reading list. It's funny. It's like going back to be a student again. I was meant to read Riders by Jilly Cooper and all I could find in the library was Mount. And honestly, I thought it would be a guilty pleasure, but I loathed it. I could not read it. It was just, mind you, I can't really stand horses, but I now know more than I ever need to know about every body part of a wretched stallion and the yeah, okay. and the presentation yeah. to the mare. I mean, honestly, it was just appalling. Made by the people of
2: Petersfield. This is Shine Radio. We're joined this month by Jennifer Solway, Petersfield author whose book is just out. It's called... The Making of Horror Movies, Key Figures Who Established the Genre. She's got a long uh, history of work in, in, in journalism. She was worked on the Hill Express and on the Observer. And she now has a weekly column on the Sunday Express. So the first thing I wanted to ask, actually, before, before Susie gets seen is, what exactly is a horror film?
1: It's a film that is designed to shock, to frighten, And it must include some kind of uh, non-human agency, I think. Whether it's sci-fi or ghosts um, um, or just um, madness. I think that's another theme in horror films.
0: Right, okay. That actually reminds me of something before we start. I've just got one here thing that I wrote. It's for the American author Carmen Maria Machado... Um, said, when you enter into horror, you're entering into your own mind, your own anxiety, your own fear, your own darker spaces. Mm. So I really like that because one of the things I was going to suggest is that, in fact, um, it brings out something from within yourself, a kind of psychological trauma or whatever Mm. that you bring to it as
1: well. Well, Stephen King says that it knocks away the props and sends you back into childhood. And I think there's something in that too, you know, fear of the dark, fear of the unknown, um, fear of the rest of the world, really, which is something that children feel when they're not sort of... They don't really know what's happening in the external world.
0: And not fitting in, yes, being yeah, a loner. Yeah. And yeah. I yes. think that's brilliant. Um, I just was thinking then about... um, we, Richard and I went to see... Uh, part of the ring cycle at the royal opera house and there's the bit where the dragon comes out of the cave and it's normally completely laughable and you sort of brace yourself Mm -hmm. um but they had an immense wardrobe on stage and the door of this huge overpowering walnut because i think childhood walnut Mm -hmm. wardrobes Mm -hmm. are really scary this door just slowly opened, not revealing anything, mm. but just that movement. And of course, we were seven again, being really mm. frightened. Mm. I think that's fab. Extraordinarily, I discovered that Jennifer and I um, did an English degree, to get, not together, with a, a year apart at University College London, which was extraordinary. So Jennifer, I'm going to say to you, I know you have an honours degree in English literature. <laughs> so why is your book about horror
1: films rather than Books, because I think films are the best way of transmitting horror. I actually think they're probably better than books. They're more sensational, I think. I mean I I you know, there are many sort of very good horror books, ghost books, if you like, ghost stories, M. R. James, Susan Hill. But I think if you really want to be scared, then you can't be to film, whether you see it at home on your own and then have to go upstairs. Or if you see it in the dark of a cinema. I mean, there's something about the darkness of a cinema which is marvellous because you have this sense of community mm. with everyone else who is there, but also you're on your own. You know?
0: And you're passive. Mm. Things are being done yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: And you can always stop reading, mm. can't you, I mm. suppose? Mm. But, yeah, I ask the question because for me, there's some of the most powerful things are the things I've created in my own mind out of words. Mm. But I completely get that. I love that notion of the shared experience as yes, well.
1: Yeah. In uh, that film, A Quiet Place, that horror film with Emily Blunt, where every the point is that you the, the, the characters all have to be silent, otherwise the monsters get them. And so the film is very silent, uh, which is unusual in the cinema because normally you have some sort of external noise, music or whatever. And the reactions of the audience when I went to see it. It was so amazing. And we all kind of laughed at each other when we jumped and squealed. And um, and that sort of added to the enjoyment of it, which is odd because we were laughing, but we were also terrified.
0: Yeah, I only saw that on the small screen I mean, during lockdown, so I really missed mm, something. Mm. But music is something I hadn't thought of because, of course, a
1: score ramps yeah, up that emotion. Yeah. I mean, John Carpenter was brilliant at that. Um, his themes for... Well, you know, Dark Star, um, Halloween. I mean, they're so memorable. You hear them and you're right back in the film. In that emotion yeah. as well, isn't yes. it? yeah. I was always thinking of the shower scene in Psycho. Yes. yeah.
2: So it, that is, that's a that's, call-out that horror film, would you, Psycho?
1: I would. I mean, I don't really think of Hitchcock as a horror director, but I think Psycho's a horror film.
2: And... Uh, you mentioned Jaws at one once, I think, in the mm. book, which, again, I, I never thought of it as a horror film, but I suppose it is. I mean, I, I do remember being watching that in the cinema back when it first came out and leaping, the whole, the whole uh, row leaping in the air when the, <laughs> when the head <laughs> suddenly appears with the eye dangling down. I, I mean, that is, and that is horrific, yeah. so I suppose it well, counts as also, horror. Well,
1: also, I mean, the other sort of uh, definition of a horror film, if you like, which, uh, you know, Roger Corman probably subscribed to, is that you have to have a monster and in Jaws, you have a monster. You've got a monster fish. Yeah. You
2: know. Um, you also include another book in, in there that you talk about is, is film. Sorry, is the um, uh, Daphne de Maurier short story "Don't Look Now" mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Julie Christie and Donald mm-hmm. Sutherland, which it, it doesn't really have a supernatural agency. It, it's it, it ha- but it does have a Sort of psychological trauma, I suppose. Yes, at the, yeah. end.
0: it's one of the first slasher movies. And really, I suppose yes, it is a slasher is, movie, but, but it is the end with the I red. think
2: it is one of the most horrific scenes when, when that 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 moment when when the, when the denouement happens yes. is completely shocking. because yes. the, the whole film builds up yes, to that moment. Yes, yes. Um, but it's, that's
0: why I was going to say it's impossible to say that anybody could say, I don't like horror because it's a very broad church, isn't it? It is not it Which is, is what yeah. we... I, I should probably shouldn't say church. And I, I, also,
1: I often sort of feel I have to part company with people say, oh, I don't like horror. I think, why? Of course you do. Everybody mm. likes being scared a little bit. Yes. That's why That's why you like Who Done It. You know, people like that anxiety of, you know, the idea of a murderer. Okay. Because you're safe, really. Yes, yes. Exactly.
2: That's the thing that I, I, I find supernatural I, hard, I find it hard to take it seriously mm. that's the problem I think mm. and that's so hard to suspend belief about supernatural stuff whereas mm. whereas something like Donut Now or Jaws it's so easy to be mm. to be in that and enjoy that enjoy the thrill of being terrified and, and then you know then it all resolving itself
1: well that was it was always sort of thought to be a, a distinction between British horror and American horror is that the Americans like you know a go-to monster they they like something they can really connect with whereas the British um I mean Terence Fisher used to say this they like something a bit ghostly and a bit sort of soft and a bit weird and a bit it's there it's not there they like ghosts so it's quite an interesting distinction between the well two. also as you
0: pick out in the book that King Kong for most of us I mean mm. they would it's certainly meant to terrify mm. with Fay Ray, mm. etc But that last bit, I mean, it doesn't matter. I think I first saw that when I was about four or five and sobbed for Mm. the poor monster. And I've never changed my view.
1: And also for Frankenstein.
0: That's true. Yeah. Mind you, one of my funniest films ever is Young Frankenstein with Mel Brooks, which I I think is superb. I I mean, you couldn't call it horror, could you? But lovely, lovely character. So let's go back, because I can think of one film that terrified me so much when I was in the cinema um, I think it's the only one that I actually had to run out mm. I didn't
1: run out screaming but mm. I ran off
0: mm. what's the most frightened you've ever been?
1: oh I think The Exorcist me too oh really it's interesting yeah yes. it's the the only film that's really really frightened me and stayed with me as well have yeah. you watched it again? yes oh. but I
0: still find it quite frightening yeah I don't think I think yeah. even if I laughed at the makeup, yeah. now there was
1: where did you see it? well I saw it first of all in a cinema in the west end leicester square or... possibly yeah. i saw it when it first came yeah, out it's like i saw it when it first came out and then i've seen it a couple of times on the telly um
0: have you seen it tim never seen it. no don't go there <laughs> because if you don't
1: believe in it it but there's something about
0: this so i was in exactly central london i was 17 or 18 yeah, or something like that we were probably like in the, same yeah, we were cinema. In the same cinema damn it um and I I don't remember which bit I left, but I've never watched it through. And I ran out and I put every radio and everything on in my hall of residence. Mm. I was still at, at UCL mm. um, because I was so frightened as if we had summoned evil yes, into that I think space. Yes,
1: it's the sort of religious aspect of that film, which is quite terrifying, I think, in a way. I mean, I'm not a religious person, no, no but way. I still find that, I think that side of it does, does scare me. You know, the sort of, summoning real evil that's sort of it is and we weren't that much older than we were because we've both
0: talked about loving horror since we were about 14 mm-hmm. and I remember when I first read Dracula that I went out I couldn't find garlic flowers that's a bit cheeky in the greengrocers and <laughs> Pompey but I did buy a crucifix it was hilarious really I mean Tim's giving me a, almost a snarl <laughs> to I was only 14 Tim <laughs> Right, so the book is subtitled Key Figures Who Established the Genre and there are 15 men If the chapter, yeah. so 15 men and only two women yeah. and they're co-starring actors,
1: so that's absolutely nothing to do with you. It's the fact that the men it's, are that so... Is, I mean, it's a great regret of mine um, that there are so few women in it. So why do you think it is? Well, because traditionally the film industry was run by men um, and, you know not quite so much now but, but largely it still is um, and most of the uh, key characters I mean if you're talking about Dracula um, Frankenstein Frankenstein's monsters, they're all men the parts for women are, are you know second, second billing really except for Elsa Lanchester and the Bride of Frankenstein and there are one or two of those images of women in horror films which are they stick with you, you know, and so you have to... And they're
0: iconic almost. Yes. And the Bride of Frankenstein yeah. must have in a hundred yeah. posters.
1: Yeah. Uh, Elsa Lanchester, when she was very el- elderly, she saw it, um, the image of her with that kind of mad Nefertiti hairdo <laughs> yeah. used in a disco as part of the kind of performance art, you know, flickering images, da-da-da. She loved that, you know. Brilliant. What a life oh, she had that was though. That was for her. That was two weeks' work. It was it was such a tiny part of her extraordinary life.
0: An utterly extraordinary life. Mm. Mm. I only knew she was married to Charles Lawton, the rest was just complete her mother Yes, completely extraordinary. Read read this book if (laughs) only to find out more about Elsa Lunchstone. And they
1: used to have a parrot who sat on the window when she was a child (laughs) sitting in an open window shouting votes for women. I wondered
0: about, so there's also a chapter on Roman Polanski. Mm. Um, So I wondered if there's also a degree of misogyny in horror films.
1: I think there is. I mean, I think, you know, we see it in uh, lots of TV now, the idea of um, serial killer films, you know, where the uh, victim is almost always an attractive young woman. Uh, Yeah, I think there is an element of misogyny in, in horror films. Um, and, you know, women as victims, um, especially in vampire films, uh, roaming around in white 90s. Women who like sex always come to a sticky course, end, don't yes, they? Yes, I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: feel it personally. That And childless women are never, they're usually the serial killers. Yes, hmm. <laughs> Spinsters. Evil spinsters. Evil spinsters who are childless. (laughs) I love it. Um, But I also was fascinated in what you had to say about the um, split in male-female audience reaction. Mm. Can you just run us
1: through that? Yes, there was a study in the 1980s, and it was found that male viewers enjoyed a screening of Friday the 13th, part three, (laughs) when their female companion showed signs of distress. (laughs) And female viewers reported higher levels of pleasure when their male companions showed no signs of being scared. And um, it also made them think of the males as more attractive. If they, you know, tough the film. So if they conform to the gender stereotypes. Exactly, yes, yes.
0: Now, the other writer I'm really interested in is Nigel Neal. So although you talk about movies and television Mm. and everything, there is also access... To the people who wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. and so on, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated in who he was married to. I had no idea.
1: I know. i i went I went to interview Nigel Neal um, when he'd made Kinvig, that um, show for TV, which is a sort of comedy, which wasn't terribly successful, a uh, long, long time ago. And he and Judith Kerr were there. And honestly, I wanted them to adopt me. I thought they were the nicest people I'd ever met in my life. They were so sweet and kind and they lived in this huge untidy house and they were absolutely... So, lovely. Tim, who is Judith Kerr?
2: Well, the, the Tiger Who Came to Tea and, yes. and uh, yes. Mog, and um, yeah. Hitler, When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit and all those, all those wonder- wonderful books. wonderful, that extraordinary
0: that they would be married? I just, I'm reeling still. I met the in shop. the
1: BBC canteen.
0: As she did. So let's go right back briefly, Jennifer. To I don't know. Would you call it the golden age of horror? Or certainly, its beginnings, as far as I'm concerned, or so on. What 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 are its sort of earliest beginnings and why?
1: Right. Well, I mean, one of the things I discovered when I was researching you're talking about the aftermath of the First World War um, when you'd, there'd been mutilation. On a scale never seen before, and people were coming home without limbs, without faces, um, and it, it, it's, it was estimated that in Germany um, there were something like sixty-seven thousand amputations performed by field hospitals. Wow! Um, and you know, many had uh, sort of masks made to cover facial disfigurements, made of tin or metal and painted. Um, and I think that's reflected in the films of the time, particularly films by you know Lon Chaney, like Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Notre Dame. These films were made in the 20s, um, and then endless films um, where often, again, Lon Chaney, uh, you know, he'd be crippled or disfigured in some way, um, and these characters recur again and again and again. And I'm sure that's something to do with with the trauma of that post-war era. Which I find fascinating. And the
0: psychological disfigurement, which we're only thinking about now, really. But that that links right through. Mm. Do you think that um, horror ages well? So I'm thinking of some of those films. I
1: completely
0: get where they've come from. Mm. But some of them are. Well, that's interesting
1: because when talk is started... Um, Silent films were quickly dismissed. You know, it was all old hat. Nobody wanted to see them. Um, But the films that have sort of survived and are still watchable are often the horror films from the silent era. They're among the few films that we can still stomach seeing. Not stomach so much, but don't bore us to death, you know. Um, But I think a lot of horror films, I mean, even things like Dracula and Frankenstein... Are not particularly scary anymore. Um, we but don't Nosferatu for for is so Nosferatu, Nosferatu is really yeah. creepy.
0: When we lived yeah. in Chichester, there's a uh, St John Street Chapel, and they did um, organ music to mm. the original film Nosferatu, mm. and that was really seriously scary because yes. the whole church had shadows in corners. Yes. And yeah, it's that those
1: sort of German expressionist films yes. are, are scary too. And um, also, there's something about Nosferatu. Although it was really um, piggybacking on Dracula, it seems like the original. There's something about it which seems so basic um, that you kind of feel that it came first, but it didn't. You know, it was pinched from the British. Yeah, you're
0: right, actually, I thought of that. But even in my mind, it's like an origin myth or something with him coming up the staircase yeah with long nails Mm. Mm. i mean i hope this drives listeners to back to the films as well Mm. as just reading your fabulous book
1: thank you um i mean a lot of the hammer films of course are pretty dated (gasps) yeah maybe don't go back to (laughs) them and they're also a bit queasy um because you know there's a lot of misogyny really and and nakedness and which never seems quite appropriate i mean they were meant to be sexy it's true but now they just become a bit (laughs) <laughs> I think my
0: favourite is the To the Devil a Daughter and it's the sort of crescendo and she's laid out on a grave sort of crypt thing, slab and a London bus goes past in the background but I've seen that, I must have seen that about 15 times when I was young and I had never noticed it
1: yeah.
0: until somebody pointed it out
1: I mean I think Witchfinder General is one of the films that's aged terribly well it's still terrifying yeah, Have you got a favourite
0: of all these? That's hard, isn't it? I
1: think Witchfinder General is. That's why It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, great. It's scary. It's beautiful. The music is beautiful. It ticks all the boxes, I guess. Yeah.
0: So I think. We were saying this the other day as well, how important it is to get names right. So I was telling Jennifer that I'm listening to the audio book of Dennis Wheatley's The Devil Rides Out at the moment. Um, and that's, you know, unwittingly funny in many places. But one of the things is uh, one of the characters is called MacArthur mm. And I thought that's just an, mm. he's got to be the baddie mm. with a name like that. So do you think that's true generally of horror or if not names, the the yeah. stock I phrases or situations or cliches cliche important in
1: horror I think cliches are important because I think we like being told the same story over and over again I think that's the point um, which again relates to being a child because when you're a child you like the same story over and over again you don't necessarily want anything new you just want the repetition you want something repackaged retold It's always the always...
2: same don't go in there on your own yes make sure you put the lights on first Uh, all those kind of things that that, uh, are cliches of the of the horror genre I suppose really
1: and I mean like that um relatively new Jordan Peele film which was on telly the other night get out Mm. because as soon as he arrives there you think get out get out and to call the film that I think is sort of brilliant actually but it is
0: right it's it's a great title but it is right about the childhood thing isn't it because you want the same experience so Mm. you want that thrill of horror and there's a, a, in this case there's a chance you won't get it unless it's absolute so I also note that there's often a sort of boring exposition of what the rules are so if you like a quiet place you have to remain silent mm. i can't remember if it's get out but i wondered if it also had in common with the devil rides out don't look at the eyes rex don't yes. look at the eyes and i just felt in get out that they're, the eyes well he were does quiet.
1: that um the thing with the the Sort of the teacup and the woman stirring the tea. Oh, remember with hypnotism? Yes. Yes. Don't look at. Don't listen to the teacup. Don't listen to the teacup. Would be (laughs) you'd be screaming it, you know, in the in the
2: audience. No, I love that. Mm. So is it is it the same sort of thrill? I'm just thinking about this as as when used to go on those sort of fairground rides. The way you know, do you remember the? the, Don't if you remember down at South Sea the the uh, the Mighty Mouse. Do you remember the Mighty Mouse at South Sea? It's terrifying right away. You'd, go, you'd hurt along at these, in these little kind of tiny little cars down these rails and you'd think you were going straight into the sea and then it would turn, suddenly turn 90 degrees and then it would shoot you down and shoot you up. And, and absolutely terrifying. And yet people paid money to go on yes, these things. And you think, yeah. well, why? <laughs> I
1: mean, that, that's like in a John Carpenter film, isn't it, for instance? Because he was very good at this. You have this quiet moment and nothing seems to be happening. And then you see something on the corner of the screen... Or something very loud happens suddenly. Um, so those shocks like that, isn't it? It's yeah, that I sort of so. Yes, it is exactly that yeah, feeling yeah, of losing your yeah, stomach. Yeah. Yes, it is odd. And the flying
0: madness. carpet that, is the same thing. I think thing. that's
2: why I don't understand people who <laughs> want to be terrified <laughs> not out, a out of seeker. their wits. I, I I don't think I'd like to be completely terrified. I just I
0: think I'm uh... No, but you're not completely terrified. If you if if I had been complete you know, truly terrified as mm. in The Exorcist, I'm out of there, mm. and I have never mm. gone back, will never go back.
1: Well, that. that's one thing that Car- John Carpenter used to say, was that up to a point people want to be terrified, but actually, in the end, they want the film to turn back on itself and say, yes, everything's all right, everything's been reestablished. established Right. Uh, um, yeah. It's okay.
0: Like crime. You,
2: you can know, go, the you villain can go is back, caught. you can go back to the beach again because the yes. shark is caught. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. kind of, I yeah. suppose, yeah. that's the... Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And he says
1: that's where horror departs from reality, because in real life, that doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) It's much worse.
0: I think it also reveals the genre. I was going, you know, thinking about that thing about um, where you've got phrases like, what did I pick up one it's it's an infernal ritual was one or straying into the dark paths mm. of night mm. and as soon as you hear something like that it's like an access all areas of mm. horror mm. and you know the sort of thing you're mm.
1: in for mm. and I think that's quite useful yes I mean I think someone like Anne Rice does that in her books for instance there's always, always come up the ante it's always a slightly worse kind of darkness or. Um, destruction or evil thing you know and it it just sort of mounts up up and up and up and you think how much higher can she go but it, she can, can keep doing it you know um, gosh i admire
0: that in yeah, an author yeah.
1: and that's actually those those are frightening books,
0: are they, books i haven't I read think. them yeah so those are the ones that made the film with brad pitt that's yes. the dracula tom yes. was tom cruise even in it or yes he was yes oh yeah. dear a long time ago yes <laughs>
2: So you're not planning on, on writing it. the next book's not going to be a horror horror book. You're going to, or you're still going to write about things rather than write a horror story. Or
1: well, what I like I like writing things that are quite funny. Actually, so I'm probably out of the picture really <laughs> when it comes to writing horror.
2: Right. So maybe you should write a, a, a book about um, yeah, funny films. Maybe that's the that's the next one.
1: I suppose I could. Um... Yeah, I guess so. That's really hard. I <laughs> that's think that's so even hard. harder yes. than horror, actually, yeah.
0: because that's so personal, isn't it? Mm, and maybe. also
1: describing something is the surest way to kill it in terms of yeah. making it seem funny.
0: Oh, it's like when you explain a joke to yes. somebody, yeah. isn't it? Oh, yeah. hideous.
2: Well, it just really brings us down to a the, to the, final question, which is what one book would you take to your desert island?
1: If I was going to be really pretentious, I would say I would take Proust, because I've never got round to reading and I wish I don't pay. so it would be my opportunity. You might jump in the sea. Yeah. Oh, but the trouble is, I might find it boring. Um, would I be allowed to take the whole of a dance to the music of time with me? I
0: think Tim and I would. I think yes, let that, you do that's, it that's reasonable. might
2: be equally, equally dull. No, I, because I, I love
1: that so much. <laughs> do you? <laughs> yes, and I'd quite I quite like to read it again. Either. And if I if I was on a desert island,
2: I managed the first one only. I had to say, and I, I love love found them. it. Um, me too.
1: Or I might take the um, La Russe Gastronomique.
0: Oh, that'd be handy. Which is great
1: because it's a lovely book to dip into. I've got got it in the kitchen and it's not really... Which are you
0: actually going to go for?
1: Oh, which am I going to go? I'm I'm going to
0: push you now. All right,
1: Anthony Powell. Okay, Because I know where I am with that. That's cool. (laughs) Petersfield's Shine Radio. Right, so
0: it's what's coming up, what to look out for, books and gossip. Tim, over to you. Well,
2: being September... There are lots of exciting books coming out and lots of books that were big last year are coming out in paperback. So I'm gonna mention quite a few. We'll put a list up on on the website. The first one I was gonna mention is there is a new Bernard Cornwall Sharp story. Now there hasn't been a new a new Sharp since uh two thousand six. And this is the twenty second. So it's quite a big event really in the in the in the uh in the Bernard Cornwall world. I mean he's been done lots of other books since then. He's done a book every year, I think, since then, but not a Sharp. And it's the first one since since Sharp's Devil. So that's coming out. Sharp's Assassin is coming out uh, in, in this month. The second one I wanted, wanted to talk about was a book called Cloud Cuckoo Land by someone called Anthony Doerr, uh, who you, you may not have heard of him, but he wrote a book called All the Light We Cannot See. Oh, yes. Which was, uh, was probably one of our, uh, was our best-selling title for about two years. Extraordinary, extraordinary paperback set during the Second World War in, in a French port. This one is quite different and it's set in three different time periods. So partly partly set in fourteen fifty three at the Siege of Constantinople, it's partly set in present day Idaho at a two characters stuck in a in a siege in a public library in Idaho, and it's partly set on an interstellar ship bound for a distant planet um, sometime in the future. Yeah. So quite interesting. Uh, it's a great big doorstepper of a book, but I'm sure that's going to be a big hit because people really loved his style of writing in, in, in all the light. To me, it wasn't my perfect style, I have to say. It's 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 uh, it's very descriptive and it's not quite what I like in, in, a fici- in fiction, but um, hugely popular. Uh, there's a new Nick Heron coming out in paperback, Slough House. Uh, there's a new Anne Cleves just coming out in hardback, called The Heron's Cry, which is the second in her new series featuring the detective Matthew Venn. There's, of course, another uh, Donna Leon book um, with <laughs> Commissario Brunetti. Guido Brunetti. Uh, the paperback of Transient Desires is coming out. So that'll be... Uh, well, I mean, there was hugely popular again, Donna Leon. Um, Robert Peston has has done a political thriller... Called Whistleblower, and I don't know anything about it other than that it's that it's contemporary and it's uh, about politics. It'll no doubt get a lot of coverage. Uh,
0: because, I look forward to it.
2: I mean he's a bit of a marmite character, or Peston. Some people some people think he's he's brilliantly incisive. I think people find him incredibly irritating with that that very slow delivery. There's a new Jamie Oliver coming out. Uh, Together, it's called. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I think I he's hope. written so many cookbooks, and I and I and I goodness knows where he's going kind to. Of pick out new new meals from. But anyway, that's subtitled Memorable Meals to Have Every Day. So so there's, there's, there's lots of uh, exciting books going on. I've just picked out, a, picked out six or, or so there. Um, but it is the best time of year, really, for, mm. for new books. And the lead-up to Christmas presents. The lead-up to Christmas, Wonderful. indeed.
0: Thank you very much, Tim. So uh, my of choice is Maggie O'Farrell's After You'd Gone. Now, she's caused a storm with Hamnet, recently, which has been hugely acclaimed, and talk of Marmite novels. I'm one of the people who didn't like it very much at all. In fact I haven't finished it. Which is unusual when a book's clearly really well written. But I just couldn't get on with the um the sort of sleight of hand of going between different times and where are we now? And I was just really interested in that child and now we've gone somewhere else. Where are we going? and I now realise that's part of the way she writes, that's her style, but I think it is done to brilliant effect with this Her Debut novel. I may not finish this for different reasons, it may be I've got a horrible foreboding that I'm going to be distraught in the end of this, so I may not actually be able to finish because I have come to care so much for those characters, and We're going through a whole family. It's about family love. It's about how the fact that um, the decisions you make in life, how something that seems fateful, the lovers you choose are actually almost in your DNA. They've been passed down to you in your genes. And so in this book, you learn as much about her grandmother, so her being Alice, the protagonist, um, her grandmother, her mother, and herself, um, why why they have chosen the way they have. But that's true of every character, that John, who's a major figure in it, is influenced hugely by his father. They are both Jews, which is a... Um, the father has become very orthodoxly Jewish because of the death of his wife. So it's the loss of his love that has caused him to now be shadowing the true love of his son in a way that he wouldn't have intended so it all is building up to this crescendo and i have to say that i didn't read it when it came out because of the very first sentence so normally i would always choose for an extract why would you not read the first paragraph in a book Um, So it begins, the day she would try to kill herself, she realised winter was coming again. And I read that. It's both brilliant, but also it felt tricksy to me. I thought, oh God, it's going to be one of those books where we're going to be maundering in her head and it's going to be depressing and awful. And then the more people raved about it and said, it's a tragic love story. And I wept and wept. And, you know, I thought, no, not for me. But It begins um, with two quotations or not begins in the title page. It's uh, whatever has happened happens always, which I love. And the past falls open anywhere. So it's almost like a book. So literally, that's what this book does. I could open this book anywhere and I could choose something that would tell me more about the point well the, the main character Alice and understand her more and care for the other characters so the piece I've chosen is actually just completely random it's about her finding a feather boa it seems nothing but for me it it does exemplify and it's quite happy it's sunny don't worry it's not going to be anything particularly ghastly but one of the things My editor keeps, every time I'm edited, she keeps saying, be specific. Don't generalise here. What does he say? Why is she having a good time at the party? Why does this cardigan feel? What's it doing? Um, So I've chosen a, a completely random bit about a party on the beach that comes through to her in recollection. And I think that that's profoundly moving. Um, and also how the madness of love and passion can actually become a true madness and even in this excerpt the boy who stops her sliding down a sand dune his gaze frightens her and she doesn't know why but we the reader have an awful foreboding because it relates back to something that happens in her mother's life it's, it's, it, I just think it's one of the most brilliant books I've read Alice flipped the trailing end of her feather boa over her shoulder and set off down the dune towards the fire and the main bulk of the party, where bodies were standing about or gyrating to the music. Her boots sank into the soft sand and her feet were carried faster than she intended by the momentum of the slope. The sudden speed thrilled her, and she held out her arms against the rush of air. She seemed to be whizzing past groups of people, her feet moving beneath her involuntarily, her hair and the ends of the feather boa flying out behind her. Giggling to herself, she came to a halt by crashing into someone at the bottom. Whoever it was had to grab hold of her by both arms to stop themselves from falling over. "'Sorry,' Alice said breathlessly, "'Sorry, I couldn't stop.' The person didn't let go of her. She felt incensed, curious and flattered all at the same time. His face was very close to hers and she could smell the tang of beer on his breath. His eyes raked over her face in the semi-dark. There was something about his gaze that unsettled her. She put her hands flat against his chest and shoved him away from her, then turned and drifted away through the crowd of people searching for Katie, nestling deeper into the mass of feathers coiled about her neck. She had found the feather boa at the back of Elspeth's wardrobe. She had been half-heartedly groping in its dark depths for a cardigan her grandmother had asked her to fetch when her fingers brushed against something soft, silky and springy. She snatched her hand away in surprise, examining it as if expecting it to be injured by what she'd just touched. Then she ducked down so that her eyes were on a level with the shelf and cautiously inserted her hand again. This time she didn't draw back her hand when she felt its imperceptible brush, but gripped it carefully and drew it out towards her. It uncoiled like a cobra from its resting place at the back of the wardrobe, and within seconds a long spray of blackish-green feathers was travelling past her astonished eyes. On and on it came, and when she finally placed it around her neck, its ends almost reached the floor. She looped it round and round her neck, then surveyed herself in Elspeth's mirror. The feathers piled up to reach her ears were the sleek, oiled black green of a starling's throat. At the centre of the boa, where they were woven into some invisible cord, they were gossamer soft, before frothing out into the firm, spiky feathers with hooked filaments that caressed her cheeks like blades. Alice had never seen anything so beautiful, and she had never wanted anything so badly. It made her weak with longing, the will to possess this thing. Why did her grandmother have it? Why had she never seen it before? Where had Elspeth worn it, and would she let her have it? Alice had stood for a few moments in front of her mirror, her fingertips stroking the outermost feathers. Then she had picked up the cardigan Elspeth had wanted and gone downstairs, the end of the feather boa trailing down her back like the tail of a sea monster. Elspeth had, of course, given it to her, and tonight's beach party was its first outing. She was being careful not to let it touch the sand, as she wove in and out of groups of people. The idea of wet sand among the sleek feathers made her shudder. Have you read it, Tim? I think
2: I have. i I read it about 20 years it's, ago. Right, so it's an old book. I don't really remember it very well.
0: I have to say, I think because other things have come in. It was actually first published in two thousand, right? So you're What's dead 20 right, years twenty-one ago, yeah. years ago. But I think it's
2: brilliant. Well, thanks very much for for listening today. Um, don't forget, you can get this, you can download this podcast from all the usual places, um, and uh, we look forward to next month.
0: You've been listening to Talking Books with Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Produced by John Wellsman.
1: Rise and Shine with Petersfield's
0: Shine Radio. Rise Rise
1: and Shine. Whatever local information comes in, you'll be the very first to know. You'll feel those ribs expand. Okay, and I'm doing it, I'm
0: doing
2: are it. Are you doing it? Yeah. Well, welcome back to Rise and Shine. You're with Alan Koch this morning.
0: What could be better? Good morning, it's good to be with you. I'm Harrison RB, it's the brighter way to start your day in the petersphere. As long as you're breathing, you're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> with you, Vicky. Rise and Shine, weekday mornings from six, with Petersfield's Shine Radio. I think that's lovely.